0: 1, miles 1,000 miles it's true oh, I would walk 1,000 miles just to be with you cuz you've
1: got my heart and
0: you've got my soul Lord, you've got this promise too why oh, would walk 1,000 miles Just to be with you And if I sing ten thousand songs Ten thousand songs, it's true If I sing ten thousand songs I'll sing them all for you Cause you've got my heart and you've got my soul Lord you've got this promise too if I could sing ten thousand songs I'll sing them all for you. and if I live 100 years for my life is through if i live 100 years i'll spend them loving you cause you've got my heart and you've got my soul lord you've got this promise too if i could live 100 years i'll spend them loving you If I could live one hundred years, I'll spend them loving you.
1: Amen. Let's look to the Lord in a word of prayer. Father, you, you have captured our hearts. And you have won our love, and there is no distance we wouldn't travel. There's no price we wouldn't pay. There's no effort we wouldn't make just to spend one moment with you, Lord. Let that be our heart's desire, Father. Let us strive to be a people who who long for you, who follow after you, who long for your ways, who long to live for you and love like you who long to be in your service and with your people above anything else. Visit with us today, Lord, and and let the message from your words speak to our hearts. In the precious name of your Son, Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. Well, the story is told in the early 1900s of a man named Delbert, who served for many years eventually as the pastor in, in a small town. But the stories of an incident he once told about when he first arrived to the town, and he arrived there to serve in a nearby homeless mission. Well, shortly after Delbert arrived to town, he was greeted by Pastor Callis, who told him that they were going to catch a train together that would take the young missionary to his his field of labor. And the train stopped in a very small community, the bags were unloaded, and they were transferred to a buggy, and there was only room for two riders in the buggy the driver and one passenger. So Pastor Callis climbed up on the seat beside the driver and, and he asked Delbert to follow on foot. Well, the horse and buggy kicked up the dust as poor Delbert walked along behind him, and he said he began to resent his new pastor. The farther he walked and the more the dust was raised, the more he came to dislike his new boss. And he felt he was losing respect for this man who he was supposed to look up to and admire and follow. Well, after he had walked a mile, the pastor had the driver stop, and then Pastor Callis traded places with Delbert, and he walked for two miles. I grew to love him more with every step. Delbert recalled, I thought he was just about the greatest man who had ever lived. Now, had Pastor Callis walked the one mile, you might say he did the minimum in the, uh, that was required in the order of fairness, but to walk that second mile showed a, a humility and a love for his fellow man. Hence, we get the quote, you go the first mile to discharge a duty, you go the second mile and you make a friend. And there are so many benefits to be had in going the second mile. Benefits not just to others, not just to the Lord, but to the one making the extra effort. The idea of going the second mile was important enough to Jesus that he spent time about that. And he taught about that during his Sermon on the Mount, which was probably his most famous sermon. We're going to look at that today. We're going to talk about the second mile, what it means, why exactly it's important to the Lord for us to become second mile Christians. Amen. So turn with me or look up the video screens to our text this morning Matthew chapter 5, verse 41. Here Jesus is speaking his words of wisdom as part of his Sermon on the Mount. And we start in verse 41. Matthew 5, 41. Let's read. If anyone forces you to go one mile, go with them two miles. Give to the one who asks you and do not turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. You've heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you that you may be children of your Father in heaven. He causes his Son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. So, so where does this come from? What's the context behind this, this command? Go, go the second mile that we read in verse 41. Well, there was a law in Jesus' day during Roman control of Israel that if a Roman soldier saw a Jewish man or a boy, that he could command him to carry his his backpack or his burden for for a mile. The Jewish boy or man was required by law to carry that requesting soldier's burden for one full mile and not a step less. That was the law. Most Jews, however, wouldn't, wouldn't carry the burden one inch or one foot farther than that required mile. The Roman mile was 1,000 paces, or 1,520 yards, a little shorter than our mile. And as you can imagine, this law caused terrible resentment among the Jews toward the Roman government, who they already felt oppressed by. And can you imagine how the Jews felt when they heard one of their own, when they heard Jesus say, go the second mile? No doubt the audience said, he must be kidding. I mean, does he really expect us to do more than, than the law requires us to do? We're already humiliated by this. Well, the phrase, going the second mile, it's, it's part of our culture today, right? It's, it's found its way into our modern jargon, but this is where it gets its roots. The Romans had conquered much of the known world, and one of the marvels of, of ancient Rome was their vast system of superhighways, which they built to and from every one of their conquered territories. There were over 50,000 miles of these Roman roads throughout the empire. And, and at each mile, there was a stone marker. The, the New Oxford English Dictionary calls them guide stones. And these guide stones pointed direction and determined distance, warned of dangers. And each one of them had a number which represented the the number of miles to Rome from where you are. And that's where we get the phrase, all roads lead to Rome. So given that these markers were everywhere, it was was pretty easy for someone to determine, for a, a Jew carrying a Roman soldier's burden, to figure out exactly where that one mile was. And when they reached that mile, they would take the burden. By law, it was their right. They could turn it over and that's it. Duties done, request completed, goodbye. Jesus is instructing the people to not only go that mile that's required by the law, but go another mile out of goodness. Wasn't a popular message. But it's important enough that Jesus follows it up, as we heard, with two additional examples of going the second mile. We're going to look at those. We're going to look at what they mean in our spiritual lives, all three of these. And we're going to understand the importance and the benefits of being second-mile Christians. So our first point today is from verse 41. If anyone forces you to go one mile, go with them two miles. And the point here is go the second mile in your obedience. You know, the physical act of of carrying that Roman burden for one mile was an act of obedience to the law. Jesus instructs us here to not just obey the minimum requirement in our lives, but to go the extra mile in our obedience. What does that mean in our spiritual lives? Well, first-mile obedience means obeying because it's our duty. We may not agree with what's being asked of us, but... We do it out of duty. We obey to the letter of the law, but not one step beyond. We know how that works in our spiritual lives, don't we? Yeah, I'll obey if it's exactly specified in the Bible. Show me where that is in the Bible, I'll obey. But you know, God never said anything about gray areas on our taxes. Hey, God never said anything about Partying at this nightclub or or associating with these friends or this organization. Hey, God God never said anything about this kind of music or these kinds of lyrics. God never said anything about tequila shots. Hey, God, God never said anything about watching these kinds of movies. You can't try to stop me. That's legalism. There's freedom in Christ. Friend, that's not freedom. That's selfishness. See, when you come to Christ, your life is no longer your own. You become a representative of Christ. You wear his emblem, you are his ambassador. To watching eyes, guess what? You portray Christ. Who's watching you in your life today? Who in your life is measuring Christianity by looking at your example? Your coworkers? Your, your relatives, your classmates? Who in your life is learning how to be a Christian and live every day as a Christian by watching you? How about your spouse, your children? Now, there may be nothing wrong with what we want to do, but if it stumbles those watching eyes, is it right and is it worth it? Some things that we always have to consider are the consequences of our actions and choices, not just to us, but to those around us, to those watching us. Let's look at what Scripture has to say about this. Galatians 5.13 You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love. 1 Corinthians 8.13 Therefore, if what I eat causes my brother or sister to fall into sin... I will never eat meat again so that I will not cause them to fall. Romans 14, 21, It is better not to eat meat or drink wine or do anything else that will cause your brother or sister to fall. 1 Thessalonians 5, Abstain from all appearances of evil. It doesn't say just simply abstain from evil. Abstain from what might remotely look or be interpreted, even misinterpreted, as evil. 1 Corinthians 8.9, but take care that this liberty of yours does not somehow become a stumbling block to the weak. That's a big responsibility. Mark 9.42, Jesus says, if anyone causes one of these little ones, those who believe in me, to stumble, it would be better for them if a large millstone were hung around their neck and they were thrown into the sea. Wow, I don't want that on my head. I don't want to be the cause of someone's stumbling. Jesus speaks very plainly, very clearly about it here, very strongly. You're better off dead to him at the bottom of the sea than causing his little ones to stumble. So what does that mean then for second-mile obedience? Well, it means obeying even when you don't have to because you want to. Why? Well, there's several reasons. First, you don't want to stumble others. You want to be a crystal clear, sparkling example of Christ to those around us. You don't want to muddy the waters with gray areas to young believers who who may not be able to successfully navigate those waters. I want to obey not just the explicit of God's Word, but the implicit. Give me a sensitivity, Lord, to obey not just to the first mile, but to the second mile Amen. and beyond. You know, love, love for my brothers and sisters in Christ guides and restrains my liberty in Christ. Right? If doing something, watching a movie, listening to certain music, reading a particular book, is going to lead someone to violate their conscience, then I'll gladly give that right up. Love always triumphs liberty. Liberty. Unity always triumphs over personal rights. Hey, 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 overstepping, overstepping. We're free to enjoy whatever Scripture doesn't say is is wrong. And, And if a person wants to think that's wrong, so what? That's their business. Friend, the key is that our freedom must always be wrapped in a care and concern for others. Right? We don't just live how we want to live with no thought or no regard to others around us. If our freedom actually leads someone else to violate their personal conscience, then we have become a stumbling block. That's on us. From his book, Daily Gems, D.L. Moody, tells this story. He says, A blind man in a great city was found sitting at a street corner with a lantern beside him. Blind man. Someone went up to him and and said, Well, why do you have the lantern? Since you're blind and, and the light is the same as darkness to you. The blind man simply replied, so that no one may stumble over me. Moody says, we who know Christ, of course, aren't blind, but like that man, we too must be providing a clear light so that those who are lost can find their way to heaven. Without the light of Christ shining through us, he said, his followers, they will stumble in their search for salvation and peace. So let's go the second mile in our obedience as a clear example for those around us. Why else? What else? What's the other reason we should want to obey to the second mile? Well, because the one we're obeying is asking for our obedience to the end result of our own good. And that's the key here. May we not become so jaded to think that, you know, God's rules are for our detriment or to keep us down or... So so that we don't enjoy this or that. No, I'm not talking about the IRS here. If I told you, hey, if the IRS asks you to give $1, give two, run. (laughs) Don't listen to me if I say that. Because you know what? The IRS isn't looking out for your own good, not looking out for your interests. But in God, we have a Father who only looks out for your best. Obedience to Him isn't just for Him, it's for our benefit. The scriptures are so clear here, and it's hard to believe we so often miss this point. Look at some of the benefits to us of obedience. First, God's faithfulness is unceasing when we obey him. Deuteronomy 7, 9, Therefore know that the Lord your God, he is God, the faithful God who keeps covenant and mercy for a thousand generations with those who love him and keep his commandments. Two, obedience unlocks the door to prosperity and the pleasures of life. Job 36.11, if they obey and serve me, they shall spend their days in prosperity and their years in pleasures. You want the secret of success in life? There it is. Three, those who obey him become his special treasure. Exodus 19.5, now therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, then you shall be a special treasure to me above all people, for all the earth is mine. For we have his protection when we obey. Exodus 23, 22. But if you indeed obey his voice and do all that I speak, then I will be an enemy to your enemies and an adversary to your adversaries. Wow, he's in your court. He's on your side when you obey him. And five, there's a marvelous freedom in walking in total obedience to God. It's freeing. It releases you from being concerned about the outcome. You just walk in faith, obey and trust God, and let Him handle things. That's freedom. That's freedom in Christ. Friend, those are benefits that I want. Those are reasons enough not just to obey out of duty, but to obey out of desire. Go the second mile in your obedience. It touches the heart of God. It uplifts, encourages, and guides those around you. And the benefits to you are untold. That's the first point. That's the first point Jesus makes here. Go the second mile in your obedience. What's our second point? Next verse, 42. Give to the one who asks you and do not turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. So our point here is go the second mile in your service. This isn't simply talking about generosity with money or possessions. Our service to God includes our time, our efforts, our resources, our talents. How generous with those are we? We're commanded in Scripture to serve God. 1 Peter 4.10 and 11. Each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. If anyone speaks, they should do so as one who speaks the very words of God. If anyone serves, they should do so with the strength God provides, so that in all things God may be praised through Jesus Christ. To him be the glory and the power forever and ever. Amen. Jesus is calling us to be generous servants. Whether it's giving of our time, our talent, our words, our money, our efforts— Whatever it is, we're called to give of ourselves generously. That's all part of our service to God. May we never turn away our time from God. May may we never turn away our talents from the Lord. May we never turn away our resources from Him. But what does it mean to go the second mile in our service to God? Well, it means several attributes in our spirit of service. First, it means not just doing the minimum that's required of us. It means going above and beyond to ensure that the ministry in which we play a part is successful. If you were ever to show up here on a a Tuesday night or a Thursday night at church, you'll find no meetings going on, but you'll find Dean here straightening chairs, distributing hymnals, preparing for the next meeting, No human eyes are watching, but God is. That's going the second mile in service. That's generosity in spirit of serving God. The the extra memorization choir members do to work on songs on their own time away from choir practices, that's going the extra mile in serving God. Those phone calls made to ask about how someone is doing when they're sick, that's going the extra mile, going the second mile. Those notes of thanks or encouragement that are sent, Janie. That's going the extra mile. How about when no one is looking? That's a big part of it. That's a big part of going the second mile in our service. My wife and I have have an inside joke about ringing the bell. And there are so many people in churches today who who love to ring the bell in recognition of, of their service. This brick has been donated by the generous contributions of Mr. and Mrs. Look at Me. (laughs) It's everywhere. Look what I did. Ring the bell. They want to make it known to everyone around them about the least thing they do for the cause of Christ. They announce it to anyone who will listen, they take pictures of it. They call the pastor to let him know. Ring the bell. Friend, that's not serving God. That's serving self. That's trying to advance your own agenda and your own image. Let the glory go to God, not to you. To Him be the glory. We just read that. Going the second mile in service to God is serving when no one is looking. Because God is. That's a generous servant. Serving when you'll never be acknowledged for it. It's serving God not just publicly at church when there are people watching. It's it's serving God by serving people when no one else is watching. Quietly, faithfully. Matthew 25, 40. The king will reply, Truly I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. I know she won't be happy with me sharing this, but, but a dear sister in the church has taken it upon herself to to bring a meal to families with young children to help lift a load when she can. And these are no ordinary meals. Her her quiche would win any Food Network competition you put it in. (laughs) But she does this quietly and without any fanfare. Why? Because she has a heart to serve God by serving others. Thank you, That's That's going the second mile. To those who are touched by your generosity, that outpouring of love is greater than any sermon that that could be preached to them. No one's looking, but God is. In the spring of 1883, two men, friends, had just graduated from medical school. And the two differed from one another in every possible way, in conviction, in appearance, in, in ambition. Ben had no need for God, Will was a devout Christian. Ben was short and stocky. Will was tall and thin. Ben dreamed of practicing medicine on the East Coast. Will wanted to work in a small rural community. They couldn't have been more different, but they were friends. And Ben begged his friend, begged him, to go to New York where they could both make a name for themselves, perhaps open up a, a joint practice. Ben begged his friend to go to New York. There they could make a name for themselves and make a fortune doing it, he said. He lured his friend, but Will refused. Ben called him foolish for wanting to practice medicine in the Midwest. He said, you know what, you'll never be rich and famous out there, he said. You know, but Will, Will said, I, I, don't, I don't care to be. I, I want most of all to go where God can use me to help others. I don't care to be well-known, I don't care to be famous, I don't care to be acknowledged, I don't care to be rich, I don't care if they can or cannot pay me for my services. Years later, Ben was penniless, unknown, and had given up on his big dream in the big city. Meanwhile, the wealthy and powerful came from all around the world to be treated by Will at his little clinic the Mayo Clinic. Friend, go the extra mile in your service. Serve with all your heart. Serve generously. Give of yourself entirely to the work of God. Serve when no one's watching, because God is. And serve God by serving others. Serve faithfully, serve quietly, serve wholeheartedly, and you know what? Let God worry about the results. If you're doing the right thing, he'll take care of you. That's going the second mile in service to him. Go the second mile in your obedience. Go the second mile in your service. And finally, our last point in the very next verse, 43. We read, you have heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Go the second mile in your love. You know, it's easy to show Love to the lovable. It's easy to love our friends and our family and those who show us love back. First, my love is love that we reciprocate and and love that's often reciprocated back. But the challenge here is going the second mile in our love is, is to love those who not only don't show you love back, but even those who may persecute you. It's one of the most amazing commands of Christ. Love your enemies. In our flesh, we naturally want to retaliate. We want to fight back when we're treated unfairly, unkindly, when we're persecuted, but we're challenged what? Not just to tolerate, not just to accept, not not just to turn the other cheek, but to actually love and pray for those who persecute us. God wants us to not just have a forgiving heart, but a heart for people that's so focused on eternity, how much better would it be that instead of that enemy being punished, instead of retribution, they're they're drawn by God's love to see the error of their ways, and they're drawn to God. That's what we should want. God's light can shine truth and melt the darkest and most hardened heart. Love. Love can win. Love can break through the, the coldest and hardest enemy. It's easy. It's easy for us to love our families. It's easy to show love to our friends, our fellow church members. But that second my love, it's a tough one. Love your enemies. When Jesus tells us this, you know what what he's doing is, when he says love your enemies and, and pray for those who persecute you, he's calling us to love like he loves. We were enemies. Because of our sin, which separated us from God, we were enemies of God. How did he treat us? He loved us so much, he sent his son who came to earth, who was born of a virgin, who taught us how to live, who died in our place, and who rose again so that sin and death and hell might forever lose their power over us. Can we love like that? Can we return love in the face of hatred? That's what we're called to do. To say it's a challenge is an understatement in the least, but but what are the benefits of it? Well, first, that love not only touches the heart of God, it can melt away the anger and the hatred of the one to whom it's aimed. Love can conquer apathy, indecision, even hatred, and it can point those to Christ. In 1567, King Philip II of Spain appointed the Duke of Alba as governor of the the lower part of Spain, and he was a bitter enemy of the Protestant Reformation. His rule was called the Reign of Terror, and his council was called the Bloody Council because it ordered the slaughter of so many Protestants. Well, one man who was sentenced to die for his biblical faith managed to escape in the dead of winter, and he was being chased by a lone soldier who had spotted him. And he came to a lake that was covered by a thin, cracked sheet of ice, and he managed to get across it. As soon as he reached the other side, he heard the soldier screaming. The pursuing soldier had fallen through the ice and was going to drown. So at the risk of being captured, tortured, killed, maybe even drowned, the man went back across the lake to save his enemy. He did it because of his love for Christ. He did it because he knew he had no other choice if he was going to be faithful to his Lord, to show love. The soldier who was rescued, he couldn't believe that this man would risk his very life to help his enemy. If that's the Christ you believe in, I want him too. He not only proceeded to help the man escape, he surrendered his heart to Christ on the spot. Can we act like that? What would happen if we loved like that? In ourselves, we can't. We can't do it. But by His power, by His power, He can help us too. And our hurts, our hearts, our very prayer lives will be transformed with that kind of love. We can love with abandon. That's second my love. Love generously, whether friend or foe. Even if we don't feel love, we act lovingly. When we show love to others, that love not only touches the heart of God, it not only melts away the fear and the anger and the anxiety, it not only points those we love to Christ, the very source of love, but it does something amazing in us. Genuine love develops. In his book, Mere Christianity, C.S. Lewis said, don't waste your time bothering whether you love your neighbor. Act as if you did. And as soon as we do this, we find one of the great secrets of life. When you're behaving as if you loved someone, you will come to love them. If you injure someone you dislike, you will find yourself disliking him more. If you do him a good turn, you will find yourself disliking him less. There's a great story, newspaper columnist and minister George Crane tells of a wife. He was a counselor, and a wife came into his office full of hatred toward her husband. She said, I don't only want to get rid of him, I want to get even. Before I divorce him, I want to hurt him as much as he's hurt me. So Dr. Crane suggested an ingenious plan. Okay. Go home and act as if you really love your husband. Tell him how much he means to you. Praise him for every decent trait. Go out of your way to be as kind, considerate, generous as possible. Spare no efforts to please him, to enjoy him. Make him believe you love him. After you've convinced him of your undying love and you you, you cannot live without him, then drop the bomb. Tell him that you're getting a divorce. That will really hurt him. With revenge in her eyes, she smiled and exclaimed, beautiful, beautiful. Oh, will he ever be surprised? And she did it. She did it. She did it with enthusiasm, acting as if. For two months, she showed love, kindness, listening, giving, reinforcing, sharing. And she didn't return to Dr. Crane's office. So he, he called her. He said, it's been two months. Are you, are you ready now to go through with the divorce? Divorce? She exclaimed, never. I discovered I really do love him. (laughs) Her actions changed her feelings. Motion resulted in emotion. The ability to love isn't established so much by our words and fervent promise as much as our often repeated deeds. Friend, go the second mile in your love and the benefits will be rich. When we love others, we begin to take on an eternal perspective. We begin to see through God's eyes, through His grace. We begin to see and care for lost souls above our own temporary problems. It shifts our focus. It shifts our perspective. The petty cares we used to focus on, they don't matter as much anymore because there are greater needs around us we see the world through eternity's eyes, through God's eyes, with eternity in view. Love not only conquers hatred, it not only points the loved to Christ, it not only breeds more love in our own hearts, it frees us to focus on what really matters in this life. Yes. That's loving to the second mile. Love with all your heart and watch Watch what love can do. Mother Teresa is credited with reminding us the following. People are often unreasonable, irrational, and self-centered. Love them anyway. If you're kind, people may accuse you of selfish, ulterior motives. Be kind anyway. If you're successful, you will win some unfaithful friends and some genuine enemies. Succeed anyway. If you're honest and sincere, people may deceive you. Be honest and sincere anyway. What you spend years creating, others could destroy overnight. Create anyway. If you find serenity and happiness, some may be jealous. Be happy anyway. The good you do today will often be forgotten. Do good anyway. Give the best you have and it will never be enough. Give your best anyway. In the end, in the final analysis, it is between you and God. It was never between you and them anyway. Second milers. Do you want to be a second mile Christian? Go the second mile. Go the second mile in your obedience. Go the second mile in your service and go the second mile in your love. That was Jesus' message to us here. Simple, but life-altering. Be second-milers. The scriptures are filled with men and women of God who lived in the second mile. Second-mile believers, men such as Enoch, who walked with God. Noah, who, who, who took ridicule to obey God's command. Moses, who gave up a life of wealth in the palace of Egypt to follow God. Peter, who who came back from denying Christ to preach on the day of Pentecost. Paul, a man of, of great faith, living a sacrificial life for the service of God and calling himself the chief of all sinners. I want to live like that. I want to obey like that. I want to serve like that. I want to love like that. And so now comes the question, friend. Are you living in the second mile? In your obedience to God, in your service to Him, in your priorities and your love for others, in your daily commitment to walk with Christ, are you going the second mile? Or is it the minimum? Minimal Christianity. Minimum Christianity. Are you willing to commit your life to God and to leap all boundaries to follow Him regardless of the cost, the price, the effort, and the sacrifice? Are you willing to take that extra step and make the extra effort to call yourself a second mile Christian? That's the bar. That's the bar that Christ set. That's the example He's called us to follow here. Make that commitment today, dear believer. Go the second mile in your walk with God. You know, the, the price might be steep, but the rewards are immeasurable. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we, we want to be Christians that go the second mile. May we live in the second mile, Lord, in our obedience to you, in our service for you, in our, in our, in our prayer lives, in our walk with you, in our hunger for your word, and in our love for you and those around us. We're done living minimal Christianity, Father. We're done just getting by. We're done just doing the minimum that's required of us. Father, we want to thrive in you and thrive for you. Give us your strength and your wisdom and your courage to rise up, Father, and truly be Christians in the second mile. With all our love and gratitude, we pray in Jesus' name, amen.